Hello, my friends. Today, I want to tell you about a new cricket factory. They're making an insect farm in London, Ontario. Now, that is not new. That story came out a few months ago. We already covered it at Rebel News. But what is new is a bizarre attempt by the CBC to say, no, 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 it's all conspiracy theory. No, 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 no one has to eat the bugs. When the factory itself says it is for human consumption, I'll take you through the CBC's fake fact check that in itself is a conspiracy theory. I think I found Canada's worst journalist. You're not going to want to miss this one. Hey, folks, I want you to do something more. Today's story is very visual, and I don't mean to gross you out. It is pretty gross. But I want you to see all these videos I'm going to show promoting eating bugs. And obviously, if you're listening on your podcast, you're just going to have to use your imagination. But for those of you who want to see it, and you've got to see it, you can subscribe to the video version of this podcast. We call it Rebel News Plus. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's only 8 bucks a month. You get the weeknight show from me. That's 20 episodes a month. Plus 16 episodes a month of four other shows we do. So a grand total of 36 shows a month. I think it's good money for good value for money. I mean, it's half the price of Netflix. But frankly, do it to support us because we don't take any money from Trudeau, which is one of the reasons we can speak plainly about the super gross bug factory. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here we go. I'm going to tell you about the bugs. Tonight, I have found the worst journalist in Canada. You're not going to believe this guy. And, of course, he's with the CBC. It's August 30th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. I saw this tweet a while back. It's from a construction company called Ellis Dawn, and it went viral probably the only time that's ever happened to this construction company. They were bragging about finishing a big factory construction in London, Ontario. You can see a picture of that factory in the tweet, and here's what they wrote. They said the world's largest cricket production facility is officially complete. Aspire Food Group's new plant in London, Ontario, is ready to produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets annually for human and pet consumption. Learn more here. And indeed, you can click that link to learn more. But hold up. Crickets for human consumption? That's what they say. Can that really be true? Well, if you click the link, it appears to me that takes you to a story in the Canadian Manufacturing Magazine. You can see it for yourself. Aspire Food Group completes production of manufacturing facility. Let me read a few lines without gagging. Aspire's new plant will reportedly produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets every year for human and pet consumption. On May 26th, Aspire Food Group announced that it has completed construction of its alternative protein manufacturing facility, London, Ontario is now home to the world's largest cricket production facility. Aspire's new plant will reportedly produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets every year for human and pet consumption. That's about 2 billion insects to be distributed annually across Canada and throughout the United States. Aspire also reports that it already has orders for the next two years. Crickets are currently being explored as a protein-rich superfood. They contain fire fiber, excuse me, and are already found in grocery stores and restaurants and have a smaller environmental footprint than traditional protein sources. 
Oh, I am so grossed out. I was thinking about this story today and I was literally gagging. They couldn't be clearer. It's for humans. They said so in the tweet. They said so in the article. I'm sorry, I gagged a bit there. And they link to the company that owns the factory, Aspire Food Group. And uh, you can click on it, and this is their website. And if you click About Us, they say, We are global industry leaders in advanced insect agriculture. At the bottom of the page is a timeline of the company, and it starts in 2012. When some students from McGill entered into a left-wing globalist project hosted that year by Bill Clinton called the HALT Prize, H-U-L-T Prize. I'd never heard of the HALT Prize before. I went to the website. It's a left-wing incubator, really. Uh, here they describe themselves as, what is the HALT Prize? The HALT Prize challenges young people around the world to solve the planet's most pressing issues through social entrepreneurship. What does that mean? Well. I don't know. Here's the head of national directors in the Halt Prize Foundation. He's a World Economic Forum global shaper. I think that's what the Halt Prize is. It's sort of globalism, left-wingism, but lots of billionaires behind it. Uh, a lot of it seems to be about getting people to eat really weird foods. This year, for example, a team called Chilk, <laughs> which they say is making the best tasting, most functional and coolest alternative dairy in the world or Propel Foods, which they say is repurposing invasive species and plants to create modern foods for the modern diet. Are you getting a theme here? Well, here's how the London Crickets Factory, how their own CEO tells his Cinderella story. It's a two-minute video by the CEO of that bug factory in London explaining that absolutely this is to feed crickets to people. Take a look. In 2013, I was pursuing a joint degree in medicine as well as an MBA at McGill University. Two months into the program, I got an email that I didn't realize was going to change my life. This was actually an email that brought my attention to the HALT Prize, the world's largest business prize competition. In 2013, the problem was food insecurity. We started looking at this problem and looking at it from all dimensions until we came across an incredible insight. And that is that over 2 billion people already consume insects as part of a diet. So we thought to ourselves, what if we can come up with a way to farm insects on a year-round basis in a cost-effective way? The judges have selected from McGill University, Aspire. We ultimately proceeded to defeat 20,000 teams from around the world and actually win the 2013 HALT Prize. And that gave rise to our company, Aspire. Insects, compared to any other form of livestock, use less land, less water, less energy, and produce a negligible amount of greenhouse gas emissions. They provide incredible nutrition for those who experience food security. And on the other hand, they happen to be tremendously sustainable for our planet. We devoted our resources to launching our beta facility, the most advanced, innovative insect farming technology in the world. You can literally copy and paste this farm anywhere in the world and ensure you're going to get the same yield and the same high quality product every single day. It is our belief that insect protein, given that it's already widely consumed around the world, 
it is food, and it will be part of our food culture in the US, regardless of whether or not we are a part of making that history a reality. Oh, of course, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention it, but of course, I'm sure you assumed that in addition to getting that Clinton prize money, Justin Trudeau chipped in eight and a half million of your tax dollars for insect agriculture, and I think a couple more grants too. I think it's over 10 million now. So regular farmers raising beef on a ranch, farmers growing real crops, um, they're facing huge new taxes from Trudeau, not just carbon taxes, but now Trudeau's weird war on farms, including his war on fertilizer. We saw this in the Netherlands too, the bizarre and anti-human war on farming. Who goes to war against farmers? But that's the weird thing. Why is everyone pushing the end of beef, the end of real food? Why are they pushing synthetic fake food, fake meat, meat made in a lab, meat made from bugs? Why do you suddenly see these everywhere? I mean, for example, here's the World Economic Forum pushing the idea a few years back. Watch this whole thing. nuts algae bugs growing dead chicken meat in labs who is behind this madness here's another infomercial by the world economic forum it's too long for me to show you the whole thing but here's the first half of it. you get the feeling it's not normal that you try and create a high technology company that's farming millions of insects right in the heart of london but insects are just nature's perfect upcycling machines that create organic natural protein that we can feed to animals, eventually maybe humans. What people don't realize is there's a huge disconnect between what we eat and how we feed what we eat. All farm fish that we create are dependent upon wild caught fish to feed them. We feed fish to chickens. All animals need to eat fats and proteins to grow, just like we do. Now these proteins come from two sources traditionally, that's fish meal and soya protein. Now soya protein is one of the biggest causes of deforestation in the rainforest. And fish meal means that we are dredging our oceans empty of small pelagic fish which are the base of the global food web. There's only so much rainforest we can cut down, there's only so much oceans that we can actually deplete until we get to a really dangerous pinch point. 
we have the dual forces of a growing population with an increasing demand for protein. There's a moment in your life where you just think enough is enough and you have to do something about it. So they're saying this is about overpopulation and climate change. They're trying to make regular food look gross and trying to make gross bugs and synthetic food look good. And that just happens to be a major mission of one of the world's richest men, Bill Gates. Gates is one of the highest carbon footprints in history of all time. I mean, he jets around, but he wants the rest of us to live smaller. In fact, he doesn't want many of the rest of us to live at all. Here he is as a, at a TED Talk a few years back saying we need to cull the world's population. At least that's what I take from him. It's an average of about five tons for everyone on the planet. And somehow we have to make changes that will bring that down to zero. It's been constantly going up. It's only various economic changes that have even flattened it at all. So we have to go from rapidly rising to falling and falling all the way to zero. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out uh, per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Uh, that's back from high school algebra. But let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But there we see an increase of uh, about 1.3. Gates is bizarre on this stuff. He's buying up America's farmland, but he's not making beef on it or ranching. He's promoting the grossest things, including drinking sewage water that's recycled. What a super gross man. I mean, it's madness that we let such a misanthrope, someone who truly is against mankind. He's, he's in charge of our vaccines, that's crazy. He's creepy and diabolical. If you don't take it from me, take it from his wife. Listen to why she divorced him. You know, it was also widely reported that Bill had a, a friendship or a business or some kind of contact with Jeffrey Epstein and that you were not, uh, that that was very upsetting to you. Did that play a role in the, in the divorce at all in this process? Yeah, as I said, it's not one thing, it was many things. But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you made that clear to him? I made that clear to him. I also met Jeffrey Epstein exactly one time. Did you? Yes, because I wanted to see who this man was. And um, I regretted it from the second I stepped in the door. He was abhorrent. He was evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. So, you know, my heart breaks for these young women because that's how I felt. And here I'm an older woman. My God, I feel terrible for those young women. It's awful. You felt that the moment you walked in. I didn't he realize was awful. that. Yeah. And you shared that with Bill and he still continued to spend time with him? Any of the questions remaining about what Bill's relationship there was, those are for Bill to answer. Okay. But I made it very clear how I felt about him. Mm -hmm. Anyways, back to the World Economic Forum, one of Gates's favorite hangouts. Here's another video they did about how we should eat bugs.
They want you to eat bugs. They say insects deserve to be part of your diet. I, I didn't know insects deserve that. So it's billionaires like Bill Gates, plus creepy Bond villain types like Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum. What we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, so we penetrate the cabinets. <clears throat> no wonder Trudeau gave a huge government grant to that London insect farm. Trudeau is a World Economic Forum super spreader. And uh, Christian Freeland, the finance minister who cut the check, is literally on the board of the World Economic Forum. Maybe at a World Economic Forum meeting, Christian Freeland or Justin Trudeau might have bumped into David Rosenberg, who, see, well, he's one of the world's leading eat-the-bugs entrepreneurs. Oh, and wouldn't you know it, he's on the board of directors of Aspire, according to this document I found today from Industry Canada. You can see his name there. And he just happens to be a key World Economic Forum leader. They love him. They say David is a member of the World Economic Forum, where he is honored as a young global leader and was a technology pioneer. All right, so, so far, all we have is a weird story about an insect farm getting millions of dollars from Trudeau at the same time Trudeau declares war on real farms. We see that Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are obsessed with getting people to eat gross things like bugs and algae and synthetic food. And the insect farm in London, Ontario, has a board member who is a World Economic Forum hero. And in fact, the whole insect farm company, Aspire Food Group, got its start with a globalist grant handed out by Bill Clinton. So... Those are the facts as told by every document I've shown you. Many from the company's own website, many from the World Economic Forum's own website. I showed you the Industry Canada documents. No speculation, no guesses, just the facts. And this story's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I'm interested in it. Bugs? We did a Rebel News story about it a few weeks back, and others in the media wrote about it too. And it's so interesting and troubling and you paid for it all. I mean, they really do want you to eat the bugs. Even if you don't want to, they'll take your money to give to the bug farmer. Okay, but look at this. I told you that my monologue today was the story about the worst journalist in Canada. And I will keep my promise. Look at this. <clears throat> it's from the CBC. How a London, Ontario cricket plant found itself at the heart of an international conspiracy theory. Seven days after the factory was built, it was falsely implicated in a global conspiracy. And this story is written by um, this guy, Colin Butler, who they say is a veteran journalist with 20 years experience in print, radio and television in seven Canadian cities. Oh, I bet he is. Let me take you through his story. But just in case you're you're counting, we haven't even got past the headlines. And he's already said conspiracy theory twice and the word false once. (laughs) Let's go through it. Let me read a few paragraphs in a row where I'm sure... Colin will present his evidence to support his claim that this is fake news and a conspiracy theory. Ready? A London, Ontario cricket factory that produces insects used as pet food has found itself at the heart of a sweeping international conspiracy theory whose purveyors claim a cabal of shadowy elites are trying to force the population to eat insects as part of a sinister totalitarian plot. 
The conspiracy theory has been circulating for months, amplified and published by hawkers of online misinformation in Canada and elsewhere in English and Chinese, often with the falsehood growing more sweeping or outrageous with each iteration. These, those spreading the myth aren't just online bloggers and anonymous social media accounts. The falsehoods are also spread and tweaked by a number of political operators to suit their agenda, including the Alberta separatist movement and politicians like a sitting MP and a Conservative Party of Canada leadership hopeful. CBC News charted the history of how this conspiracy theory grew from a single tweet by an Ontario construction company to being used as rhetoric in the Conservative Party of Canada leadership campaign. Okay, so he's he said it's a pet food factory. But that's not what Ellis Don, the company that built the factory, said, was it? They said it was for humans and pets. That's what won them the original million-dollar grant from Bill Clinton. That's what their whole mission is. That's literally the case made by the president of the bug farm in his own video. Why tell such a weird lie in the very first sentence? Why say it's just for pets? I counted... The CBC and Colin use the word conspiracy theory literally 20 times in the story. They say fake or false literally 15 times. I counted. We're well into the story, and all he's done is make insults and assertions. He hasn't yet shown you a single factual error. In fact, he hasn't referred to a single fact himself, has he? Now, how many facts did I show you? Tweets, documents, photos, videos, Industry Canada records, 10, 15, 20? all of them from the primary sources themselves. But you can sort of tell the purpose of this article already, can't you? I mean, the words Conservative Party appear four times in the story, even though it was the Liberal Party that gave the bug farmer his grants and the Liberal Party that's actually declaring war against nitrogen fertilizers and regular farms. It's weird. It's almost as if the CBC aren't real journalists but are government journalists hired to smear Trudeau's enemies and cover up for Trudeau's scandals and to hide the bug factory's true nature for some reason. Let me keep reading. The information was picked up a week later by Awakening Canada, a Facebook group that posts misinformation about the pandemic and conspiracy theories about the World Economic Forum. The June 17th post was published shortly after midnight asking, are you guys ready to eat some crickets? Welcome to Communist Canada. It got 10 shares among the page's 4,600 followers. (laughs) Eight hours later, the false information, what false information? Was repeated by Mike McMullen, a London, Ontario political candidate who ran for the People's Party of Canada in the last federal election and a candidate for city councillor in this October's municipal elections. He posts the same Ellis Dawn tweet on his Facebook page with the caption, Klaus Schwab and the WEFers must be pleased. The post gets 29 shares amongst his 1,900 followers. There's a growing number of people who think our country is messed up and our politicians are puppets, McMullen told CBC News when asked Thursday about the Post. A lot of people are concerned that they're going to get them to eat bugs. Okay, so they're smearing all of Trudeau's enemies, the the People's Party. Uh, A little bit later on, they smear Leslyn Lewis, Cheryl Gallant, the MP, the Alberta Prosperity Project, uh, any poor schlub with a Facebook page that the CBC hates. But, I mean, we're, we're pretty deep in this story yet. Have, have you found the conspiracy theory yet, the, the fake news part yet? Are you guys ready to eat some crickets? Welcome to Communist Canada. That, that was what they said was a conspiracy theory, but that, that's not really a theory. It's a sarcastic reaction to a bug factory advertised as being for human consumption. 
So, so what's the conspiracy theory? What's, what's the false fact? Are you ready to eat bugs? That's a question. The factory owner hopes the answer is yes. What's the fake part again? What's the conspiracy part again? Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum people must be pleased. Well, well, you know they are because David Rosenberg, one of the Bug Factory's board of directors, he's a member of the World Economic Forum. I'm sure he's pleased that his factory is built. Again, what's the conspiracy theory part again? What's the false part? I'll read some more. On June 18th, a similar post appears on Black Sheep Truth Media, a Facebook group that features numerous conspiracy theories with the caption, the planned food shortages now offers a solution not to be worry, not to worry now, there will be plenty to eat, folks. The information has been reaching more people with at least 292 shares and 164 comments among the page's 30,000 followers. It is also flagged as false information by Facebook after being singled out by independent fact checkers. First of all, there is no such thing as an independent fact checker. They're all political operatives whose job is to censor dissident media that's off the official narrative, but call themselves fact checkers so they appear less partisan. But again, what, what's the factually false part? Planned food shortages. Okay, that's a theory. But is it not the plan in the Netherlands, for example, to shut down farms in the name of global warming? That is the plan. That's why the farmers are reacting. Is it not Trudeau's plan to do something similar. Here, I mean, here's a story in Bloomberg, uh, pretty mainstream media, in fact, Democrat media. Um, Trudeau spars with farmers on climate plan, risking grain output. Canada wants to cut fertilizer emissions, but farmers say it could result in less food. So I suppose it's a matter of opinion whether or not less food is an intended consequence or an unintended consequence. But it's pretty, pretty clearly going to be a consequence if you farm less. Um, reducing farming will reduce the amount of food. That's what happened in Sri Lanka. That's why they had a bit of a civil war there. So again, what's the conspiracy theory that the CBC thinks they've caught? Simply clucking in disbelief that anyone would be worried about eating bugs. That's not journalism. It's not fact-checking. It's not exposing a conspiracy theory. And the fact that the very first sentence in this article, the CBC reporter lied. He claimed that this factory was only for pet food when the factory's builder and owner said it was for people food. It shows you can't trust the CBC. The fact checker here is actually the liar here. This weird CBC story is so long, I'm not going to read it all. It's really just Colin Butler complaining that people are saying things he doesn't like and he can't censor. I'll read some more. On July 3rd, the falsehood is published in the Calgary-based Western Standard in a column titled, If Canadians Want to Eat Crickets, We Wouldn't Be Forced to Subsidize a Cricket Farm. The column has been shared at least 450 times to 130,000 followers. Okay, again, what's the falsehood? It's an opinion. And I think it's actually reasonable, don't you think? You don't need subsidies to be a farmer for things people actually want to buy. Uh, It's not even a factual statement that's true or false. It's an opinion. How is that a conspiracy theory? What a kook this guy Colin Butler is. What a liar. What a shill for his boss, Justin Trudeau. And Christian Freeland, the World Economic Forum stars. Here are some more so-called fact checks on so-called conspiracy theories. This is incredible. She published the false information again in a link to the Western Standard column on August 7th with the caption, it's interesting that Trudeau invested millions in cricket farming to fight a food shortage long before Putin invaded Ukraine. 
They're talking about Cheryl Gallant. Gallant did not respond Thursday or Friday to a request for comment from CBC News. On July 9th, federal conservative leadership hopeful Leslie Lewis wrote a blog post with the heading, Is Animal Meat Being Phased Out? That hints the cricket plant is part of a larger plan by the federal government to phase out meat. The post has been shared thousands of times on social media, including among groups that share fake news and conspiracy theories, such as the Druthers Community Group. Lewis did not respond Thursday or Friday to a request for comment from CBC News. Well, I'm glad Cheryl Glant and Leslie Lewis know better than to talk to the wicked liars at the CBC State Broadcaster. But again, those aren't even factual statements. They're musings. They're reflections. Is animal meat being phased out? I mean, that idea has been proposed many times by left-wing groups. Uh, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a good question. How is asking a question... A conspiracy theory. How is, it a, how is it a false fact? This Colin Butler is stupid. Or maybe he's not stupid at all. He's just malicious and he knows his job is to smear any enemy of Trudeau in the World Economic Forum, not to report. Whether or not it's interesting that this bug factory was in the works before Ukrainian wheat exports were put in jeopardy, I suppose that's a matter of opinion. I actually don't see a connection myself. Uh, maybe it's interesting. Maybe it's not. But how is saying, hmm, that's interesting, how is that a false fact? Other than they want to smear a conservative MP. I'll read some more. CBC News shared the timeline of the conspiracy theory's growth with Alison Meek, an associate professor of history at King's College and Western University in London, Ontario, who studies conspiracy theories. She said the false information taps into a growing anti-government sentiment playing on the fear and isolation many felt during the darkest days of the COVID-19 pandemic when authorities were imposing sweeping lockdowns and health restrictions that upended many people's daily routines. Okay, so we've got an expert to tell us what to think and what not to think. Is there any group more discredited these past two years than experts? But is this professor of history knowledgeable about this bug farm? Has she even Googled it? Has she watched its videos like the one from its CEO? Did she look up its board of directors like I did? What, what is she an expert in other than mocking the little people as being stupid? Isn't she actually the, the stupid one here? I'll read some more. The Internet has been a real boon to conspiracy theories, she said. It's free. You reach like-minded individuals, and it can be twisted to fit whatever the agenda is, whether it's the Great Reset or World Economic Forum or state politics. She said, while fact-checking conspiracy theories can be exhausting, it must be done to keep those who propagate the lie from dominating the conversation with false information. Do you think that nutty professor knows that David Rosenberg, a key part of the bug factory's corporate structure, is, I mean, he's a director of the board, do you think she knows that David Rosenberg is, in fact, a member of the World Economic Forum? Is that the lie she's talking about? Do you think Colin Butler does? Do you think they spent a minute actually looking into the facts here? I don't see any evidence of it. They're just calling names. Now, I'm at the bottom of their article now, and I'm still waiting for a false fact. The only lies here were from the CBC and their dial a quote fake experts. And the only conspiracy theory here is the government journalist trying to cover up what the bug factory itself publicly brags about and what the World Economic Forum publicly lobbies for. What a disgrace they are. Stay with us for more.
Welcome back. Well, for those of you who have been watching our show since the beginning of the pandemic, you'll know the city, Nuremberg. It's a German city. Uh, It's a city that had several touch points with the Nazi regime. The so-called Nuremberg Laws were a system of racial laws that said what, for example, Jews could or couldn't do, including whether or not they could be doctors, whether or not they could marry non-Jews, the Nuremberg Laws. After the Holocaust, the Nuremberg Trials put the Nazis on trial for crimes against humanity. Emerging from that was something called the Nuremberg Code. One of the outcomes of those trials was to review what doctors had done during the Nazi regime, especially in concentration camps, in death camps. Dr. Mengele, for example, who conducted atrocious, torturous experiments on Jews and others, horrific experiments on twins, for example, uh, positively infecting Jews with diseases to study it. Doctors did the most diabolical things Uh, And it helped whitewash what the Nazis were doing. The Nuremberg Trials and the Nuremberg Code emanating from the Holocaust set forth our modern understanding of medical ethics, including what rights the patient had to not just consent, but to informed consent and ongoing consent and the right to remove that consent. That's what the Nuremberg Code is. And it's relevant to anyone who has studied the last two years as patients, ordinary Canadians, have had their informed consent removed, as Canadians have been pressured into taking vaccines. Some of them took them willingly, but many did not want to and were coerced into doing so. Did it touch upon the Nuremberg Code? Well, it most certainly did. And Leslie Lewis, one of the candidates for the Conservative Party of Canada, mentioned this in a mass email the other day, which I thought was very thoughtful and very bold and very principled. But people who know less than her about the meaning of the Nuremberg Code pounced, claiming that she was diminishing the Holocaust somehow by referring to it, just the opposite. She was remembering the Holocaust and the lessons from it that too many have forgotten too soon. I saw another leadership candidate, Scott Aitchison, went on the hunt claiming that Leslin Lewis was intolerant somehow for referring to it. Brian Lilly, the disgraced former rebel now with Toronto Sun, said that Leslie Lewis' comments were unacceptable. No, Brian is wrong yet again. And I thought I would invite Dr. Lewis on the show to talk about the Nuremberg Code, how it's appropriate to refer to it in the case of medical ethics, and why I think she was right and her critics were wrong. Dr. Lewis joins me now via Skype from her home in Dunville, Ontario. Dr. Lewis, great to have you on the show. We're fans of yours all the time, but I felt pricked into action here. I felt that you were unfairly smeared. Did I more or less accurately sum up the background story? Yes, I think I think you did, and I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you about what the purpose of that birthday wish to the Nuremberg Code was. So that comms that I put out, Ezra, was on the birthday of the Nuremberg. And I really wanted to highlight just how Canada has deviated from that and how we should be careful because that code, we don't need to have another Holocaust. And I pray to God that we will never have anything so 
brutal and egregious as the Holocaust for us to actually invoke the code and to learn from it again. I believe that the code is an international legal principle that came out of one of the worst dehumanization of people to the point where People would say, well, um, you know, the Jewish people, some of them, their skin were the same color as the people who were oppressing them. But the hatred was so deep that they created a racial group and said these people are different and and measured the size of their heads and did atrocious things. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really what I was focused on. I mm -hmm. was focused on the legal principle mm -hmm. that came out of that so that we would never do that again. And so I took that legal principle mm -hmm. and I looked at whether or not Canada deviated from it. And I looked at the experiments that we conducted on young indigenous children and so many things were, were were so wrong with that experiment even when the children were deemed to be malnourished mm -hmm. and doctors wanted to intervene and give them vitamins the authorities our government said no because they are part of a control group they and you will ruin the experiment so they watch these children suffer and i wanted to highlight that and the reason why i highlighted the two other cases is because i know that then sometimes when people go, will go down the path of saying oh well you know our country's so bad no our country is the greatest country in the world and we learn from our mistakes and we are not perfect and that's what that's why we need to analyze our history rather than tear it down. Mm -hmm. And that's why I highlighted the Willenberg, Willowbrook Brook, uh, case and Tuskegee, because in Willowbrook, the parents also thought that, the, well, actually, the doctor said that the parents were given consent, even though those parents were told that if you don't sign on, through this program for your children, these experiments, we won't treat your children. We won't give them, they won't be able to stay in this hospital. So those parents were compelled and they didn't know that the children were being injected with hepatitis. So they didn't even know what the source of the injection was. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Tuskegee, Ezra. Mm -hmm. In the Tuskegee experiment, both black and white men were treated. The white men were treated and the black men were given placebos and watched and then sent out in the community to infect others. Yeah. And children were born with syphilis yeah. and were told, and these men suffered dramatically. And yeah. when they went to other doctors, the doctors were not permitted to treat them. They were told that they would lose their license yeah. if they treated these men, because once again, same as in Canada, they were part of an, a human experiment and they were a control group. And so they needed, they could not be treated. And this is egregious, Ezra. And on the, on the birthday of Nuremberg, I thought it was very important to highlight it. Yeah. Now, a few of my supporters contacted me and said, oh, you didn't mention COVID. And they were de very disappointed because to be honest uh, with you, uh, Ezra, the purpose of the post wasn't about COVID at that mm -hmm. time. It is to it was to highlight how fragile our rights can be and how something as important as the legal instrument of the Nuremberg Code was deviated on three three occasions mm -hmm. in North America for decades. Mm -hmm. You know what? Uh, those cases are are fascinating and terrifying. I'm familiar with the Tuskegee case. They literally injected men with syphilis, claimed to be helping them, but did not. As you said, they let them get sicker and sicker as part of a grotesque experiment, clearly violating 
the Nuremberg Code. The Nuremberg Code was part of the verdict in these crimes against humanity trials. Like it was, it, the judges contemplated what the doctors had done and said no doctor should ever do that again. It's interesting you say some of your supporters said, why didn't you mention COVID? If you are standing by the Nuremberg Principles, people can, can in, uh, you know, infer how this applies to our own situation. Right now, literally right now, the University of Western Ontario is saying to young, healthy men and women who already had two shots, if you don't get the third shot, which, by the way, is not health policy anywhere in this country, just some bureaucrats said, if you don't get this third health shot, regardless of whether your doctor advises it, we will punish you by banishing you from this university. That is so clearly against the Nuremberg Code. And I think the reason there was a freakout by Brian Lilly and Scott Aitchison is because you're speaking the plain truth. And instead of explaining why the third booster shot should be mandatory, they just want to throw insults at you instead. I, I thought, I think anyone who remembers the Nuremberg Code and the Nuremberg Trials is is doing a better service to the memory of the Holocaust than people who say, how dare you invoke them? I don't know. I was very, pl- very proud of you and very glad that you talked about it. Well, thank you, Ezra. I, I never invoke the Holocaust. I, I don't believe that you can compare anything to it. Mm-hmm. Just like chattel slavery, I never compare anything to it because the grotesqueness of what happened um, is just, it's incomparable and so I never invoke it Um, I am I was trained as an international lawyer so a legal principle coming out of a trial Mm -hmm. is something that I would always engage in Mm -hmm. and legal principles are historical precedents it's it's it sets the the parameters of how we should behave and so it's very very logical at, at at on the eve of the Nuremberg code to to bring up these things and so I don't know why um, they were so angry with me yeah. but I do know that um, people like Mr. Aitchinson they they have a lot of bigotry around social conservatives and yeah. uh, when when people who support me um, are referred to like the fringe it just tells them and to be honest on the 10th we will see who the fringe is we will see yeah. whether or not Uh, I just have a fringe representation. And I'm convinced that we don't. There are a lot of Mm -hmm. people who have questions, Ezra, Mm -hmm. and their questions constantly are dismissed Mm -hmm. as conspiracy theories. And that's why we're having so many problems right now, because government officials don't feel that it's necessary to answer people's questions. They feel that they can just pat them on the head. Oh, it's okay. Go away with your conspiracy theory. And then demonize and label anybody Mm -hmm. who wants to stand up and have truthful honest discussions yeah well I tell you you're exactly right and I see the CBC that referred to uh, recently uh, talking about oh no one is asking anyone to eat crickets or eat bugs and in there it's absurd the so-called fact checkers the ones accusing everyone else of believing in a conspiracy theory I read that so-called fact check in the CBC it's about that London area cricket food factory and right in the primary document the tweet from the firm that built the factory it says for human and pet food the word human comes first literally the factory itself boasts that it's crickets for people to eat and then the rest of the article is the cbc saying oh you'd have to be crazy to think we want people to eat crickets 
Well, the factory builder just said so. I, it's, you know what? I think instead of answering questions people have, they're smearing them, and that's not making the questions go away. I just brought in that crickets thing as an example of, of what you're talking about, the elites not actually answering questions. Hey, let me get back to the leadership race for a minute. Uh-huh. We're coming down to final days. Um, I think party members have until September 6th to, to return their ballot. Is that correct? Like, that's just a week away. That is just a week away. That is just a week away. And we will be picking up ballots because we don't want them. We want every vote to count. And so if people do have their ballots, we will send a courier. And we also have drop-off locations so that we could amass those ballots and and save on some of the the courier costs because we are fiscal conservatives. So we'll find the most prudent way to get it in. Well, uh the results will be released, I believe, four days later in Ottawa. I'll be there with some of the Rebel team. I think it's going to be very exciting. Um, you are more seasoned as a candidate than you were last time. You've had a term as a member of parliament. This is your not your first rodeo, as they would say. Uh, now that we're coming into the final days, how do you think the campaign has gone? Not just for you, but in general. How would you describe the race this time as opposed to the last contest? Ezra, it was very important for me to be able to articulate certain policy positions that I felt that were being buried in in our party and that weren't uh, being given a voice. And so that was one of my main objectives is making sure that people have a voice and that they know that they have representation in parliament. And so there are many issues that, as you would say, you rub the, the, the genie bottle and the genie's out of the bottle now. And so now we have to have these discussions. And so I'm very, very proud of myself for that because I've traveled to 10 provinces and three territories and I've heard the concerns of people, and it just doesn't seem that many parliamentarians are in tune with some of the issues that people find that are very, very important to them, such as our sovereignty, which is a primary issue right now. Yeah. Well, we're certainly glad you're in the race. Uh, I think you've raised a lot of interesting issues, and you've done so in a politically incorrect way. What I mean by that is you're not more worried about what will he say or she say. You just say it. And I think that really clicks with people. Um, I look forward to seeing you in Ottawa. Will you be in Ottawa for the announcement night on September 10th? Absolutely. And I look forward to seeing you there too, Ezra. Right on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I, I just wanted to talk about this Nuremberg Code because I think it's important that everyone, it's not just a Jewish thing, of course, it's for anyone who cares about ethics. But the fact that some of your opponents were trying to flip it around on you, I thought I had a, I wanted to weigh in on and have a good discussion with you about it. Folks, I do encourage you to look up the Nuremberg Code and to read the rules of medical ethics that were devised by the court after the Holocaust. Very interesting, especially in the light of current events. Dr. Lewis, pleasure spending time with you. Your website is leslinlewis.ca, and we'll see you in just over a week in Ottawa. Awesome. Thanks again, Ezra. Pleasure having you. There she is, Dr. Leslin Lewis. Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back. Your letters to me. Exorcism Earth says, someone tell me the difference between the Democrat disposition and the communist disposition. Pro tip, there isn't any. Well, look, there used to be some moderate Democrats. I mean, you have to go back a a fair bit in time. And I think that's what Ina, uh, the council member from New York City, was saying. You know, 15, 20 years ago, the Democrats weren't 
all AOC radicals. They want, weren't all Ilhan Omar radicals, socialist radicals, woke radicals. They were still moderates in the Democratic Party. Uh, I mean, there, there used to be, it's hard to believe, there used to be pro-police, pro-military Democrats. I mean, look, JFK himself um, fought hard. I mean, Russia, the Cuban Missile Crisis, he, he was a hardline anti-communist. Bruce Atchison says, let's hope and pray more people cash in their reality checks like this interviewee. You're talking about Ina, the councilwoman. I really liked her. I mean, she to go from being a Democrat to a Republican in New York is very hard to do. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I mean, afterwards, I thought maybe that was a long, deep dive into something very just New York-y and very city council-y. But I, I just, I want to say... I think she's going to do go on to big things. Like a lot of people say AOC is going to go on to big things. That's probably true. I think Ina Vernikov, I might too. I, I hope so, actually. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, don't eat the crickets. Don't eat the bugs. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey guys, Katie Davis Court reporting for Rebel News. I am on the ground today at the Edmonds Kingston Ferry Terminal trying to bring light to an issue caused by Governor Inslee's vaccine mandate for state workers. Now, in October of 2021, thousands of state workers were fired for not getting vaccinated. And among those, hundreds belonged to the Department of Transportation, which significantly impacted manpower for Washington State Ferries. Now, a shocking PDR request obtained by the Washington Policy Center earlier this year revealed that the week before the vaccine mandate took effect, the Washington State Department of Transportation deliberately cut back on ferry services to try and hide the fact that the disruption would be caused by the termination of hundreds of employees due to the vaccine mandate. Now on August 11th, the CDC issued new COVID-19 guidance, which stated that the unvaccinated are under the same guidance as the vaccinated. And despite the updated guidance to treat the unvaccinated equally to the vaccinated, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee has yet to rehire the thousands of state workers that he fired in 2021, which would predominantly solve the staffing crisis, not just within Washington State Ferries, but across all departments impacted by the mandates. Due to the mandate firings, there hasn't been enough manpower to efficiently run the ferries. Now, over the past few months, I have received dozens of messages from angry passengers about boats being canceled and delayed on a near daily basis. So I decided to wake up at the crack of dawn, head down to the ferry terminal, investigate for myself, talk to the average commuter to get the real story and find out what's really happening at Washington State Ferries. Let's see what they have to say. How often would you say that the boats are delayed? Uh, about uh, every day. Every day? Yeah. And it's impacting everyone? Everyone. Yeah, so I was up on Orcas Island a couple weeks ago, grew up there. Ferries were great growing up for decades. And then they did the, the reservation system already kind of threw a loop in things, but definitely more recently since COVID, everything's gone completely whack-a-mole. And there's never been like a good explanation exactly for why. It definitely seemed like it got weird as soon as mandates started to come into play. The workforce affected by the mandates. And then they had all a bunch of excuses about what the actual problems were, but it was definitely coinciding with when those mandates started. I think that we have a problem with Inslee. And what do you think of the vaccine mandate? I think it's awful. I think a lot of people lost their jobs that were important to Washington State. They have left. They've gone to other states. They aren't going to come back. I leave here at 12.30 in the afternoon not, and not get home till 7.30 at night to go 80 miles is, you know, ridiculous. So.
What do you think is the cause of the delays? Oh, uh, it's uh, from uh, Governor Inslee about the, the, the pandemic of the COVID virus. I think uh, what I heard from one of the ferry workers is when it first started, in the mandates, they had 300 ferry workers quit or retire. And only had 200 people in reserves that so got called up. So it still got less people. But four and a half hours, I was literally on the boat. It was leaving four and a half hours after my original scheduled time that I had a reservation for. So yeah, it's crazy times. Have you noticed anyone else complaining about the wait times? Everybody. Everyone I talk to in line, they don't, they don't stand what's going on. So I explain to them and then they say, why did you drive around? Well, if you drive around, that's two hours from Kingston to Edmonds. Right. So it's like, either way, you gotta wait. I think the only way that the wait times can change is if we bring back the workers who really want to work, we protect them and not force them to get a vaccine in their arm that they do not know what it is. What would you say to Governor Inslee if he was here? Just, just uh, stopping the mandates, stopping the emergency powers, be our governor, you know, don't, don't try to be a president again. You know, try to be our governor, please. Please be our governor. As in, everyone watch the state except for Seattle. Governor Ansley sucks. That's my opinion. But, uh, I'm glad he rehired him. I mean, no, he hasn't rehired them no, yet. Should do you think he should? Sure. Yeah. He should get rid of his mercy powers. Go back to normal. Get more people in the schools to get more ferry workers. So that way, everybody can be have, ride the ferry, especially on the weekends. I don't understand the ferry. This is a good paying job. It's a great job. Where's, they have a pension. Where's, where's, all, where's all the people at that need jobs? I know you just can't go on a ferry boat and be qualified right away. But. Yeah.